You're listening to Orlando Impact, a podcast dedicated to shining the spotlight on purpose-driven leaders in our city. Here's your host, Hilgard Lamprecht. Welcome to Orlando Impact. My goodness, it's been quite some time that we have done one of our podcasts, and I'm excited this morning to be talking to Lauren. Lauren, you are the owner of the pharmacy, and uh, you have blessed blessed my stomach in big ways. <laughs> we have uh, visited with uh, with you and your friends Lorianne and Brian Buckley, and uh, had the beautiful back up back kitchen tour, and heard all the wonderful stories. And so, uh, I wanted just to welcome you to our podcast. This is a great time together. We do this to share amazing stories. You've told me some of your story, you know, hanging out at your restaurant, and mm-hmm. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear your story. So, you know, before you open up the pharmacy, can tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up, and how did you kind of got to the place of starting to look at the pharmacy? Well, first, thank you for having me, Hilgard. This is really nice to be here. Well, my story in opening pharmacy really goes back to you know, when I was a kid, because this has been sort of a life mission for me in terms of doing restaurants. I am pretty straight and narrow when this comes to my career, because I knew from about the age of 10, I think, that I wanted to open restaurants. And so I never waned from that thought. So my whole life has been geared towards how am I going to do this? What do I need to do to achieve this goal? So as a kid, I told my parents and my grandparents that this is what I wanted to do. I didn't come from a restaurant family. I just came from a big Italian rest, uh, family that loved to eat. So that was, you know, I think for me, the impetus for wanting to have a restaurant to begin with, because I loved the feeling of being around the dining room table with my family. And my grandmother was an amazing cook. She's self-taught. And I thought, I want to be able to you know, bring this kind of feeling to people that I don't know, you know, so started back then and really just uh, was pharmacy was not my first restaurant. I had a restaurant prior to uh, pharmacy, actually two restaurants prior to pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So my first restaurant I opened when I was about 28 years old. It was a 10,000 square foot building in the heart of Providence, Rhode Island, which is where I went to college. So I went to college at Johnson and Wales University for hospitality and got my AS in culinary arts and then worked at a restaurant that was very famous called Al Forno. So I did that working for them for about nine years and then really thought I would go on and, and become a, you know, a line cook or a sous chef in Boston. And at that time, when I approached the owners who really had become like family for me and told them I was going to be leaving very tearfully, I said, I'm going to be going, I have this new job. And they were like, what? You're not going anywhere. You know, you, you should really do your own thing. And, you know, when you're 27 years old and you're told you should do your own thing, you know, really, you kind of scratch your head and you say, these people feel that confident in my abilities that I should do this. So being young and listening to, you know, people that were older than me, I just followed their lead and we opened this uh, huge restaurant called Empire. It was a historic building built in the inner city of uh, Providence, built in 1912. And it was originally the first inner city Packard car showroom ever to exist. Wow. So it was two stories, panoramic views of the city, Art Deco building, absolutely gorgeous. And it was taken uh, from being this beautiful car showroom and then when the Great Depression hit, it moved to the suburbs 
And the, the building actually became a couple of different things. I broke it up into little pieces and parts, but then eventually it became a strip club. And uh, so this gorgeous building, if you can imagine, was boarded up. Uh, they didn't want anybody to see in. And so when I looked at the building for the first time, it was a strip club and your feet stuck to the floor from the beer the night before and blah, blah, blah. So we actually took over that space uh, through eminent domain and we refurbished the whole entire thing from the ground up. So true fact, we found a, a lot of historic things inside the building that were hidden behind the walls. When we took the building apart, Mm -hmm. uh, we came across some artifacts from an old church that evidently the church had been destroyed, but the parishioners of the church wanted to save some of these artifacts. So they hid them behind the walls of this Mm. building and uh, we discovered them. So actually, if you come into pharmacy, you'll see these beautiful cherubs in sort of a gold gilded frame inside the restaurant that actually was from the inside walls of my first wow. restaurant. So a little That's bit of history. So tell us about how, you know, Rhode Island and then, uh, mm-hmm. must've made the jump over to Florida. And yeah. what were you thinking when you're thinking about opening up pharmacy? So what, when I moved to Florida, it was 2003, uh, branching right into 2004. Cause it was December 5th that I moved here of 2003. I became the executive chef for seasons 52. So I was their first executive chef here on Sand Lake. Mm. And the minute I stepped into Orlando at that time, our Orlando was just very much riddled with the chain restaurants. And I had come from a city in Providence that chains really weren't that predominant. So mm-hmm. when I came here, I thought, where are the independent restaurants? There's like nothing really And so I knew at that moment, I I need to open up an independent restaurant. Mm -hmm. So I did my stint over at Seasons 52. That was my first real corporate job working for a mass chain like Darden. And that was a very interesting experience. I did it for a year and I realized this may not be the right fit for me. And then I moved on from there. And really it was, it was, I had children at that point. I had two boys in 2005 and then 2007. So I needed to keep my foot in the industry, but I didn't want to own a restaurant at that point because I knew what kind of time that would really take for me. Cause opening a restaurant is like giving birth to a child. Mm-hmm. It is painful. It is like, it takes every ounce of your energy. And if somebody would really tell you how awful the experience can be, you probably wouldn't do it. (laughs) You know, so I taught for the time that my boys were really little, I was a teacher at La Cordon Bleu. So I did that for about six years until my kids were a little bit older and didn't need me as much. And then the first restaurant that my partners and I opened was called The Table. Okay. And really was very similar to wanting to be, bring people around a table again, you know? Mm -hmm. So our concept was 22 seats around this gorgeous 24 foot Brazilian granite table under a crystal chandelier. I think you still have the table. We still have it. It's in storage right now. So, and we were going to just have, you know, people make their reservations online. Like you would, let's say a sporting event or something like that. And then there would be no exchange of money. We, we really wanted all of that to be done behind the scenes so that when you came to the restaurant, for your experience, you didn't feel like 
you you weren't paying at that point. Everything was settled and done and you could just really enjoy. There was no stress of how much should I tip? What do I do here? What do I do? You know what I'm saying? So that mm-hmm. element was pulled out of it. So you could really just enjoy the dining experience. Mm-hmm. So that was five courses paired with five wines. Mm-hmm. My partners and I, we were sort of the hosts of the show and you never knew who was going to be at the table. So you make your reservation for you and your wife, or maybe you and your, you know, another couple. And, uh, there's all these other seats that are going to be filled with people you don't know. So it was a wonderful way to bring the community together. And, you know, at first we started off slow and if we didn't have enough people that actually made reservations, we would call family and friends on our own and say, Hey, we have five spaces left. You have to come. We don't want this table to be empty. And it was just, you know, really chipping at it, chipping at it and getting this thing. So we did it for three years. And over that course of the three years, it just, filled up, you know, people just heard about it, filled up the Orlando magic used it so many times for having just all of their players there. We had rehearsal dinners and wet small weddings. I mean, it just kept going and going. And originally I would tell you that even before I got to know you, I heard about the table. You did. And the word got out in a big way. And it was such a unique concept, the way you're describing it. And when people told me it was, I was like, well, I don't get it. You know, that's kind of interesting. So the only thing I'm sorry about is that I I didn't know you before. Yeah. You guys transitioned to the pharmacy. Right. I would have loved to come. Oh, to I wish that. Well, you know, it was a very special experience and we hear that a lot. People mm-hmm. always saying, will you ever bring it back? Will you ever bring it back? And the answer is in, in sort of, you know, a very confined way. Like I wouldn't want to do it like we were doing it before where we did it every Friday and every Saturday. And then it went into every, you know, Wednesdays and then this day and that day, because the workload was tremendous for, for me (laughs) because I'm the chef. So, and we, nothing was planned beforehand. So I would just rely on what my farmers had and make the menu that day. And so I would get to the restaurant at like seven or eight in the morning and I wouldn't stop until one in the morning the next day. And it was amazing. It was a very blessed experience. Uh, The team that I had to work with me in the kitchen, we were in the end, we were like, you know, poetry in motion. It was like the most beautiful dance that we could do together without any stumbles. We had just become so uh, used to working with each other. It was just wonderful, but it was a long and, you know, having children, my kids at that point were, you know, five, six, seven, you know, and I, I, there was a lot of sacrifice. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, I hear a few central themes in your story. You're describing in many beautiful ways the entrepreneurial spirit, and there's a big entrepreneurial spirit inside of you. There's a lot of creativity in, inside of you. You know, everything doesn't go perfect or just lines up for a person who wants to own their own business or, you know, even drive their own business. Mm-hmm. You came to this place of struggle here where you found yourself, you know, working yourself to death. And how did you pivot? How did you how did you meet that challenge? And was that maybe the beginning of the pharmacy or how did did that transition? So we were doing the table and the space that was right next door to us was a shell of a space. Okay, it was literally an unused space by the landlord. They would throw in their holiday decorations, all broken pieces of equipment went into the space that was next door to us. And it was sort of like a closet, like a big closet, junk drawer, if you will. And eventually my partners said, well, could we maybe make this into something? 
would this be another location? And so we went back and forth, back and forth, and decided on a secretive restaurant. My partner, Dominic, he'd always wanted a speakeasy. That was something that was on his, you know, bucket list. And I thought, well, you know, let's try it. Let's do it. So we approached the landlord about it. And the landlord said, sure, I have other people looking at this space. But if you're interested, we can strike up a deal. And so, you know, we decided on this secretive restaurant called Pharmacy. And uh, it was going to be this speakeasy. And the word, just a little history on the word pharmacy. We all know what a pharmacy is. It's a place that we go and we get prescriptions filled and that kind of thing. Well, back in the day during Prohibition in the 1920s, when alcohol was then had become illegal, people with the loophole was they would have their doctor prescribe for them alcohol for their migraines or their, you know, stomach indigestion or what have you. So they would get gin and vodka and what have you. And they would go to the pharmacy and they would have their prescription filled and then they would stay and they would drink. And everybody who had their prescriptions filled would stay and drink at the local pharmacy because that became the local social place. Everybody wants a place to be social, right? Uh So that's how pharmacy got its name. So for for us, we got the space. We had a partner, Bert Roper. I don't know if you know the Roper family. So Bert was our partner in the table. He was the one person that believed in us. We had gone to many different banks for loans. We had tried to get the money needed for the table and we had doors shut in us left and right because it's a very high risk thing for, you know, banks to uh, put money towards. So turns out met this guy, Bert Roper, and he believed in us. And I remember sitting on the floor of the garden theater before it was really anything. It was a slate. It was just like a, a concrete floor. They were still building it. And with this 80 something year old man, my kids were tiny. One of them was like still in, you know, a carriage at that point. And um, he said, so tell me your plan. And we told him and he said, sounds interesting. I like it. Okay. Well, how much do you need? We told him, he said, I can do that. He's like, let's go upstairs. I'll write you the check now. (laughs) So on a handshake, this man yes. changed really the course. And it was on Valentine's Day. Wow. It was on Valentine's Day of mm-hmm. 2009 or 2010. And I remember saying to him, hey, Bert, I feel so badly that you want to meet with us on Valentine's Day. And he goes, he's like, my wife, we've been married for 60 years. She's fine. <laughs> you know, and so it was like, oh, my God. And I, I didn't really know Bert all that well. I had only met him a yes. couple of times. He's but, quite the he's quite the legend, uh, you know. I also live in Winter Garden, and Bert is very, very much the legend, and um, the whole Roper family, right? Yeah, uh, I love them. Much, much yeah, they're amazing. He, he's very he was very eccentric. Yes. I remember being in a round table with him, and he he was one of the first guys, 80, 80 years old, that mm. wore those shoes. That I know like, the little feet shoes. Little feet shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, he wore those all the time. Yes. I love that. He looked like a little elf, you know, yes. with those shoes on. But yeah, he changed. He really changed the whole trajectory of our lives at that point. I was still teaching. Mm-hmm. I really did love teaching. But, you know, this this dream of opening an independent restaurant still existed for yes. me. And so um, we let, opened- let me ask you this, if I can. You know, the first time I went to the pharmacy, one, I couldn't find the door. Mm-hmm. So everybody had to point me in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But when you take two minutes, just describe to our listeners, hey, when you get there, what does it look like? What does it feel like? 
what is it that you're trying to portray? What what is the message you try to send through your atmosphere, your team, and your food? The message is we're a hidden little jewel. You will feel when you when you finally arrive, when you finally find us and you press the button that sort of reveals this gem inside, you know, these uh, brick walls, it's the feeling of that you have stumbled upon something quite different and you don't feel like you're in Orlando anymore. You feel like you're in, I don't know, Manhattan or Chicago, a, a very big sort of cosmopolitan city that has these hidden spots. And I think that, you know, hopefully you're greeted with, you know, wonderful people at the front desk and, you know, you make your way to a table and you're just, you know, you feel like I always felt at my grandmother's table that it's casual, yet the food has a, has a formality to it because it's so good. It's so delicious. The cocktails are so much thought put into the drinks and I, I would want you to feel connected. I, I, I wouldn't want any of our customers feel as though there's an air of arrogance about what we do. We're very salt of the earth kind of people. We're not trying to be really have this high end vibe about us. You know, you can come dressed, you know, in a suit or you can come dressed very casually and still feel as though you fit in. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we're trying to achieve. In your, I would say you're describing it very well. I've been there several times. The way you describe it is the way that I've experienced it. So congratulations. Thanks. Let me ask you this, you know, in your life, if I ask you about maybe one or two people that has been hugely influential to you, or you could say, maybe it's a book, maybe it's faith, I don't know, but what has been a great source of influence or inspiration in your life? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you know that I'm a Christian and mm -hmm. that God has played, you know, my whole entire life a huge part in every decision I make. You know, one, one thing, and I think I shared this with you, one time when you and Brian Buckley had come in for dinner, at one point in my life, I had a dream that I, I was on the top of a mountain and the, I could feel the wind. I could see the, the night sky, the stars. And I'm standing on top of this mountain and all of a sudden in the distance, I could see this fire me fiery meteorite coming towards me and it was coming very fast. And as it approached me, I could feel the wind of it pull, pushing my hair back and the heat of it was very, very hot. I thought to myself, this thing's going to crush me. And so I got down and I sort of tried to protect myself as much as I could. And all of a sudden the meteorite just hovered above me, didn't crush me. And I looked up at it and, you know, this massive voice just sort of that came through the universe just said, Lauren, your mission in life is to spread the word of God. And I was very young. Like I said, I was about 10 years old and I woke up from that experience in tears and I shared the story with my mom. And I, at that point, I was always very, you know, I was born and raised as a Catholic, Italian Catholic. And um, at that point, I always felt very connected to God. I always felt a very special relationship with Jesus. And I always wanted to share, even with my little friends, I always wanted to share Jesus. You know, I always wanted to share who he was for me. And, you know, at that moment, I thought, well, he really wants me to do this thing, the, my mission, you know, it's like this mission. And I, for my whole life, I just kind of dwelled on the word mission, mission, mission. But in my heart was this feeling of wanting to cook and wanting to share food and wanting to eat and wanting, you know, so I was conflicted. I was very conflicted. And so as a human being, I, I thought mission meant become a nun, become, go into the missionary, do, you know, like, 
what does that word mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so being conflicted, I always felt like I was failing him. You know, I always felt like because I didn't do those things, I was failing him. Um, but later in life, you know, as I still move forward in my ideas of being a restaurateur, I learned in my, well, I was, I think it was about 33 or 34 years old that the word restaurant comes from the Latin restore and the word restore means to make whole. Wow. And so the minute and I get chills right now, just saying it, but the minute I learned what the word restore meant, restaurant meant was to restore and make whole. I thought I'm completely following the mission that he had set out for me. You know, and I really believe that now that it doesn't matter where you are in your walk of life. You always have opportunity every day if we're available. And we that's the point. Our eyes have to be open and available to see where we can be useful. So for me, as a restaurateur, I have opportunities every day. I've got 26 staff members. I have opportunities every day to just go the extra mile to see how I can be helpful mm. to my staff, to the patrons that come in. Mm. It, you know, the list goes on and on, obviously, as being a mom. But when I finally figured that out, I felt closure. It was like mm. the first time in my life since the dream, I actually felt closure of what I chose as a vocation. So that was a big moment for me. I felt good. <laughs> so I could see that passion in you when I was in your restaurant. And it's a big reason why I'm inviting you to be part of our podcast. Uh, there's something very unique about people who have found their mission or their vision in life and have, have settled on it. You know, they've answered the tough question is, what is my purpose on life? And God, what do you want me to do with the rest of my time here? Mm-hmm. You have. And um, I share a very similar struggle with you. Uh, also about, you know, proclaiming the good news and then, you know, as a businessman. But for other folks, and I'm finding this a lot, Lauren, is that a lot of folks struggle with that question in life. What advice would you give if you were standing in front of, say, a high school class Mm -hmm. and they were full of entrepreneurs and full of life Mm -hmm. dreams and and they were excited about what lies ahead? Mm -hmm. What advice would you give them about uh, chasing their dreams? Mm -hmm. I would say that any dream that we have is put in our hearts by God. And I would say that he's already put his stamp of approval on it. I would say that every day to keep the conversation open with him mm-hmm. in just our daily decision-making, we have small decisions, big decisions, God, what would you have me do? Show me the way mm-hmm. and be open because sometimes God speaks to us in ways and and to each of us, he speaks a different language. I really believe that. He knows us so individually that he knows your language. He knows my language. He knows your language. It's all very different because we're all different. So I think that just to have ears that, that are willing to hear what he's saying and always remember that, you know, the way that God sometimes brings us to the thing in our heart is very indirect. Sometimes it's direct, but sometimes he takes us down a path that's very windy and takes a while to get to that uh, that destination that you see yourself at. So I would say be patient, mm-hmm. keep the faith, don't give up. And that's really, that's do not give up. Continually share him in the dialogue, even when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. I know that sometimes for me, when I struggle the most, I want to cut him out. 
Mm-hmm. I want to not talk to him. I don't want to share things with him because I feel like he's not even listening anyway, because look at the mess I'm in. But the truth is, is that he wants to be part of every facet, even the messes. So fantastic. You know, it's such a joy. Like I said, I've been there probably two or three times now to see you live it out. You know, the Life Wealth Group, we, our tagline is seeing more dreams come true. And we are seeing your dream come true with the pharmacy and you living out your mission. Thank you so much for being part of our program today. Thank you for I having really, me. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, everyone who's listening, all my clients, highly recommend the pharmacy. <laughs> Go check it out. Uh, it, it is full of mystique and wonderful food and a great atmosphere. Thank you again, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Orlando Impact. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Securities offered only by duly registered individuals through Madison Avenue Securities, LLC, MAS, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC, AEWM, a registered investment advisor. MAS and the Life Wealth Group are not affiliated entities. AEWM and the Life Wealth Group are not affiliated entities. The Life Wealth Group is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any references to safety, security, or guaranteed lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products, never securities or investment products. Insurance and annuity product guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims-paying ability of the issuing insurance company. The LifeWealth Group is not permitted to offer and no statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. You should talk to a qualified professional before making any decisions about your personal situation. We are not affiliated with the U.S. government or any governmental agency.